I'm going to invite you to remain standing uh, for the reading of God's Word. And so grateful to have two people who are really dear to me uh, to come and, and read the Word for us this morning. So come on up. Brindley and Emma are going to lead us in our reading of God's Word this morning. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom after the festival was over. While his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of, of it. Thinking he was in there company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with, with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, girls. You may be seated. So, uh, as you have seen, we will be in Luke chapter 2 uh, this morning. And I want to say just a little bit about where we are um, currently in, in our series. So this is our second week of our series, And a Little Child Shall Lead Them. Uh, and for those of you who, who had the just great privilege of joining us last week in our, uh, our combined um, service to celebrate our confirmands, those 13 students who, who made a public um, profession of faith, that, that was their opportunity to stand before the church and say yes to life with Jesus. What a great celebration uh, that was for a church, uh, for us as a church. And in so many ways, it felt like just such a, a, a big moment. Obviously, because we got to witness what we did, um, th- this, this incredible and life-changing moment in the lives of these students, but then also for a church to be together in one room, in one space, we're a church that has three different uh, worship services that happen on Sunday morning, and to have the occasion to gather in the same space for, for such a reason was just uh, such a blessing. If you, if you missed it, if you weren't able to see it, it is online. You can go back and watch it, um, but just want to encourage you if you didn't connect with that, that. That is one of the things that is so important to us is one of our values as a church is next generation now, and that, that is that we don't have to wait until the next generation grows up uh, for them to lead us, that if we are paying attention, we find that they are leading us right now. Uh, in fact, we had w- one of our students, um, one of our confirmands, uh, Maggie shared her testimony uh, last week, and it was, I mean, I, I leaned over to Ed and I said, I am so glad that I'm not the one who has to follow that because um, I, I think that we just, you know, pray and keep singing and then we're done. 
um, because it was such a, a, a powerful moment. So thank you for, um, for being willing to do that. Yeah. And it's just one of the things that we want to encourage. And so over the course of this series, we're asking the question, how, how is it in Scripture that we, we understand what it means to be children of God? And then how is it that we see that children actually teach us what it means to be faithful to and to follow um, Jesus? And, and we get to, to look at this moment in the life of Jesus this morning that only Luke captures. Uh, there, are, there are things that show up in every one of the gospel accounts. The feeding of the 5,000 shows up in all four gospels. Obviously, the death, uh, burial, and resurrection of Jesus shows up in all four gospels. But Luke captures this moment in the life of Jesus that is, that is distinct to Luke's gospel. This picture of boy Jesus. And it's so... I think it's important for us to, when we're reading the Gospels to ask maybe why the distinctions that exist in the Gospels, right? And, and some who, who, who doubt would use these as a, a, a reason or, or evidence to say this is all made up. You can't even get your story straight. Like you, you can't even get the right things, you know, to show up in the story. You have somebody telling, you know, this version of something that none of the rest of them, um, you know, choose to highlight. And yet for Luke... We have a better understanding if we go back to Luke chapter 1 and read just the first four verses. Luke says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those, by, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And then Luke says, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So it's believed, uh, as, as you've heard said before, that, that Luke, in addition to being one of the gospel writers, that Luke is, was also believed to have some, some medical knowledge. He was very wise, he was very thorough, and so uh, with that kind of personality and that kind of way of viewing the world, Luke took it upon himself, as he says, to investigate carefully these things that have been handed down and these things that have been told in order to be able to capture, one, his gospel account, and then two, if you flip over, skip John and go straight to Acts, Luke is also the author of of the book of Acts. And so, and I think I said this two weeks ago, but just a great, maybe some summer reading for you uh, to, to read Luke in its entirety and then flip over and read Acts in its entirety. You're hearing from the same person who's seeking to capture the accounts of these, uh, the life uh, of Jesus and then the birth and life of the early uh, church. Really important for us. So perhaps the reason that Luke captures this story and chooses to highlight it comes out of a conversation that he may have had with Mary. If he is doing careful investigation, somebody that he is obviously going to want to speak to is the mother of Jesus. And imagine what, what that was like for him to connect with Mary and say, hey, I just I have some questions for you. There are some things I would really like to know from you about what it was like to be the one who, who, through whom the Messiah came into the world, to be the one who gave birth in, in a manger, to be the one who was told there was no room in the inn, and yet we have this place for you where we keep the animals. Uh, what was that like for you? 
uh, to be the one who, you know, after the child was born, to have these visitors, people you did not know. It's not like you had friends and family come, but you had shepherds and, and, and wise men and, and people come to visit you that maybe were unannounced. You didn't know they were coming. Mary, what was that like for you? What was it like to be the mother of Jesus, the mother of the Messiah? Like, did he, did he pick on his younger siblings? Like, did he always kind of play the Messiah card and I'm mom's favorite because I'm also oh, the son of God in addition to the son of our mother. Uh, what was that like? And, and, and maybe in the course of that conversation, Mary says, you know what? There was this one moment when Jesus was 12 that I just, it, it just sticks out in my mind. And, and so that's what we're going to look at this morning. That's what Luke has, has captured for us. So if last week we were encouraged as these confirmands, as these sixth graders who said yes to life in Christ, encouraged to consider what it means to say yes and to, to take hold of the inheritance that is ours as children of God, the inheritance that's made possible. This morning, we want to, to consider what does it mean to live into our identity as a child of God, or how do we live into our identity as a child of God? So inheritance is something that's been prepared for you by someone else, right? An inheritance is handed down to you based on the work of another person. Inheritance is not something that you create on your own. It is something that is gifted to you. It's something that's handed to you. Uh, And Pastor Ed read last week uh, from the beginning of John's gospel, John Chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, John writes, Yet to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, this gift that is offered to us, not based on anything that we have done ourselves, but based on what God has accomplished Through Christ, what God has made possible for us, that the dividing wall of sin, the thing that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of life in God, Jesus has taken care of that. Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven and to say yes to this inheritance as children of God. But identity is something entirely different. It is something that we spend much of our lives trying to understand trying to figure out, trying to craft for ourselves. Trying to say to the world, this is who I understand myself to be, or this is who I am, or this is who I want you to perceive me to be. This is my identity. And for many of us, if you examine kind of the past two years when the world went off the rails and and life as we know it ceased to be and we had to figure out how to live and do life a different way, for many of us, one of the struggles in that was around identity because we place so much of our identity in the things that we do and the way that we spend our time and the ways that we are at our workplace or the ways that we interact with others or the ways that we are when we spend time with family. We, We kind of, our identity is wrapped up in what we do in this world and yet all of a sudden that's stripped away and and we're living life in a way that's different. So I I had so many conversations over the past couple years where people feel like I, you know, said, I I just feel like I'm, I don't really, I'm trying to figure out who I am now because who I thought I was, you know, was wrapped up in this thing and now this thing doesn't look the same anymore. And so what is my identity? So while we are 
trying to craft for ourselves and craft for the world around us this understanding of who we are and present this identity, we also have, in addition to that, things like society and, and family and loved ones and ethnicity and race and culture and uh, location and opportunities and media and interests and appearance and self-expression and life experiences, all of those things kind of be th- being thrown into the mix that affect our understanding of who we are. It's no wonder that so many of us wrestle and struggle with understanding ourselves, with trying to to figure out and often struggling with the, the really challenging work of, of crafting an identity. And, and whether we realize it or not, crafting an identity that we feel like will be pleasing and acceptable to the world around us. We feel like if we can work hard enough and shape our identity in the right way, then the world around us will, will, be, will, will receive us and will accept us. And yet what I want us to consider this morning is that if we instead root our identity in who we are as children of God, then it is that that determines and shapes the way that we interact with the world around us rather than allowing the world around us to shape who we understand ourselves to be. Rather than allowing the world to shape who we understand ourselves to be, what if we rooted ourselves in our identity and our understanding of who we are as children of God Allowing that to shape us and allowing that to determine how we interact with the world around us. <clears throat> so perhaps, <clears throat> excuse me, in his conversation <clears throat> with Mary, and he's asking her about what it was like <clears throat> to raise, raise up the Messiah, the one who was God's chosen the Son of God. What was that like? And, and Mary talks about maybe the shape of their life as a family. And, and one of the things that was true about who they were as a family is that they were a pious family. They were, relig- they were a religious family. The things of God were important to them as a family. Every year, we read, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Not... When Jesus was 12, Mary and Joseph decided that it was important for them to travel to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. No, instead Luke hears and is able to record every year this was something that they did as a family. This was the manner in which Mary and Joseph chose to raise Jesus. This was a priority for them. To raise Jesus in the knowledge of the things of God. Now, I... I, for us, it's, it's perhaps a little challenging to, to think of Jesus in this manner, right? We have 2,000 years of being able to look back on this, understanding or at least having a, a decent understanding of who Jesus really did come to be. Not the Messiah who would lead his people to political freedom, but the Messiah who would lead people, would lead humanity to freedom through the forgiveness of sins and the invitation into new life. But we have to understand that one of the things, the thing that makes Jesus distinct is that he was both fully human and fully God. He was complete unto himself and existed in this manner as being human and being divine. And that is incredibly difficult for us to wrap our minds around, 
understand that. But, but rather than this, this boy who was brought into the world through this servant girl, Mary, rather than as he began to grow, she just you know, kind of turned him loose and said, well, you are the Messiah, like you are the Son of God, so I think you, probably you got this. Like, you, you can figure out how to you know, do the things that you need to do. You, 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 know, you did actually create everything, so does that mean you created? Like, I wonder if she had deep theological, like, did you create yourself or did I, you know? Like, these are the things that probably kept Mary awake at night, right? Or is Jesus going to, you know, do something mean to one of his siblings who's picking on? Is he going to turn them into something unnatural or, you know, I don't know. But it, we, we have to allow ourselves to step into this space to un- understand that, that Jesus was, was a boy, that Jesus grew, that Jesus was fed, that Jesus was nurtured, that Jesus would have fallen and skinned his knee, that Jesus probably did get into quarrels with his siblings that Jesus may have done things that were disappointing to his mother and his father. And that part of raising this child up, one of the things that was important for them was that he was raised in the knowledge of the things of God. And so every year, they traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now, there were three pilgrimage festivals for the people of God. Many people couldn't afford to do all three, but Passover was one that even a family that may have been poor, they, they would do what it took to travel to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. So while this isn't something that we necessarily learn from Jesus in this, it does for those who are parents, what is it that we are seeking to raise our children in knowledge of? We are all, all of us being discipled by something or someone The question is, what are we allowing to disciple us? What are we allowing to disciple our children? Right, understanding that that, my my wife and I, I mean, this is one of the things that keeps us, well, keeps her awake at night, and then we talk about it in the morning because I, I I just power down when I get in bed. Like, we just flip off the switch, and then we can talk about it in the morning. But, but you know, am I doing enough? Have I done enough? We try to just say, you know, God has, has given us our children to steward, and, and we try to do the best that, that we can. So what, I don't want you to hear, gosh, I'm not doing enough because I'm not raising my, my children in the things of the Lord. But it does, it does invite us to wrestle with what are, what are my priorities for myself and family? And then if you don't have a family, like what are the priorities of my life? What am I allowing to disciple me? What am I being discipled by or who am I being discipled by? Because the world wants to grow you into something that looks very different from what God wants you to grow into as one of his children. So priority for the family. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Imagine how that conversation went with Luke. Well, Luke, there was this one time uh, where, you know, we, we went up to the, celebrate the Passover festival every year, and there was this one time where Joseph was in charge <laughs> of making sure that Jesus was with us on the return trip. And then maybe Luke goes to ask Joseph, and he's like, oh, that's what she told you? That's not true. Oftentimes when especially poorer families would travel, they would travel in large groups. They would travel with other families. So it was, 
It was probably not uncommon to travel for a day and just assume that everyone was with you. Just assume that everyone had made the journey. And then after a day, you know, they probably think, you know, Mary is, is probably like, hey, if you, is Jesus with you? Because the men would often travel together and the women and, and being the age that Jesus was, he could have, he could have been in, in, you know, both either, with either group and, and that would have been acceptable. So, hey, uh, Joseph, is Jesus with the men? No, he's not with me. I thought he was with you. Uh, and then maybe it goes something, Mary's like, well, well, you've lost your son, right? In that moment, now it, Jesus, if Jesus is Joseph's son. You, oh, you, you, lost, you lost the son of God. Hey, that's great. I'm going to let you tell um, God that. I'm going to let you deal with that. We don't know how that conversation went, but I, I just, I mean, they were human, right? They were human parents who had to navigate that, and, and maybe that was a point of tension in their marriage. But um, Luke just says they didn't realize he was with them. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Now, full confession, we have left one of our kids in the car. Not in a place, but in the car. And it was, it was during, like, recital time, or uh, it was either recital or the Nutcracker. But if you, Sarah, like, help me out here. Like, there's lots of costumes, and there's lots of toil on the costume. Like, the costumes are big, right? So it would be easy to fill your arms with the costumes and think there's a child in there somewhere. And it, it was one of our small children at the time, and we both get into the Schaefer Center, and we have our other dancers, and, and we get in, and we both, Piper and I look at each other and say, well, where's, um, did you get Brinley? No, I, did you get Brinley? I'm, I'm carrying, I, may, I thought she was in here, <laughs> but she's not, and thankfully that was just a trip back to the car to get her out, and she, did, she was oblivious, she didn't know, but imagine traveling for a day, like you're a day into your journey and realize Oh. First of all, we lost the Son of God. Secondly, we have to travel now a day back and try to find him in, in Jerusalem, not just we left him at the rest area on the way. He's in the city of Jerusalem. They began looking for him among their relatives and friends when they did not find him. They went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court. So the first thing that we... Learn from Jesus about what it might look like to grow into this identity as a child of God is that Jesus lingered. Jesus lingered in the place where at that time it was believed and understood that the presence of God dwelt most specifically in the temple. The Spirit of God, the Holy of Holies, the place where God was for the people. Jesus lingered in that place. And I wonder for us in in this fast-paced, demanding world in which we live, how often we allow culture. If even if you are a person who is a I'm a you know, I'm a like I like to start my day in the word or reading um, from a devotional. If that is just something, a box that you check among a number of boxes that you feel like you are supposed to check over the course of a day. Because there is so much demanding your time and your attention that you just move on to the next thing. But what would it look like to linger in the place where it seems like God is at work? If you're a reading plan kind of person, then you're like, I 
I got to get through, like these are the four chapters I have to read before I can move on to tomorrow. But what happens if you're reading in, in the first chapter that you're supposed to read and there's just something that grabs a hold of you? What might it look like to linger in that place? What might it look like to, t- to take the next six months and read that psalm or that passage or that verse and just allow God to do whatever God wants to do with that? To slow down and linger in the places where God is at work. And that can be in a conversation with someone. It could be in a space of worship. It can be in a, in a time of prayer. It can be in a moment where you're just sitting out enjoying this amazing place that God has given us. And rather than rushing off to the next thing, just lingering for a moment. Because there's something about that moment where, as the Celtic Christians would say, the veil is a little bit more thin between here and the kingdom. So maybe, maybe this morning that's the thing you go forth wrestling with. What would it look like to begin to linger. Maybe people should miss you more. Right? For so many of us, our lives are spent in engaging and interacting on, on social media. And, and we'll do this thing, right? Like at the beginning of the season of Lent, you'll say, I'm giving up social media like I'm going dark for the next you know, 40 days. But I, we just want people to know, just in case they miss us. But maybe... We should allow people to miss us more because the place we need to linger and engage is the place where God is at work and God is speaking. Not to be so quick to figure out, you know, what our lives look like interacting digitally with other people, but interacting with the living God to linger in that place and not be so quick to move on. Maybe people should miss us a little bit more. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The next thing that we see is that Jesus was humble. What must it have been like for Jesus, fully man and fully God, to sit and listen to the discourse of these religious leaders, these teachers of the law, as they sought to wrestle with the things of God? Like, Do you think maybe there was a temptation for Jesus to say, All right, let me lay it out for you. Like these scriptures that you're talking about, that's me that they're talking about. He will do that later in Luke's gospel when he stands up and reads from Isaiah and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This was written about me. But what must it have been like for Jesus, preteen Jesus, full of himself, you know, because he's preteen, I mean, we, we automatically, when we enter that phase in life, think we know everything. Jesus did know everything. The divine, you know, Jesus, God. But with humility, Jesus is placing himself in this environment, believing that he can learn something. Like, do you walk into a room assuming that you are the smartest person in the room, or do you work to try to be the smartest person in the room, or do you walk into a room assuming that every person in there is someone who can teach you something? Like, what if we approached conversations? What if we approached interaction in that manner, believing that there is always something to learn?
So the first thing that we see is uh, after Jesus lingered, Jesus was humble. The next thing that we see is that Jesus asks questions. One of our values as a church, I've mentioned one earlier, Next Generation Now. Another one of our values is that we, it's a space where you can ask hard questions. Like we celebrate that. The hunger, the desire to learn, to wrestle with what is written in this book, to wrestle with what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to try to live into our identity as a child of God. To be willing to ask questions and to be willing to wrestle. Jesus was humble. Jesus asked questions. Jesus listened. So many of us have lost the ability or the art of listening well. The moment that someone is telling us something or the moment that someone is sharing something about their own lives, we, many of us, are already formulating the thing that we are going to say in response to that. But what might it look like if we just took on a posture of listening, of curiosity, believing that there's so much more about who God is that we can come to understand? And being willing to face the reality that often it's not because God is not speaking. It's not because God is not choosing to reveal himself to us in a myriad of ways. It's because we don't linger. It's because we're not humble. It's because we don't ask questions. It's because we don't listen. And then finally, it's because we don't prioritize the things of God. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Verse 49, Jesus says, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Other translations say, Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? In, in the Greco-Roman world, to speak of being in a, in a father's house or to speak of being in a house was not just speaking of being physically in a home or physically in a place. But for Jesus to say, I had to be in my father's house, was for Jesus to say, I had to be under my father's authority. It was a question of, of, of authority, not just location. I had to be under my father's authority. I had to, to, to be about my father's business. And I'm sorry, earthly mother and father, but, but that is more important to me. To be about my heavenly father's business is more important than, than making sure that I was with you when I was supposed to be with you. Now, please, children in this room, do not hear me say... You can just go rogue and do whatever you want. We're also called to honor our, our mother and father. Maybe Jesus could have given them a heads up. But what we, what we have to wrestle with here is what, what are we prioritizing in our lives? It's not that God is not speaking. It's not that God doesn't want us to grow up into our identity as his children. It, it, it is clear that God does want that for us because it's one of the things. I mean, John begins his gospel with this. Jesus showed us 
what it looks like to walk in the ways of God, what it looks like to order our lives in such a way that we become a reflection of who God is, more specifically that we become a reflection of who Jesus is. He gave us the model to follow. So it's not that God is not at work. It's not that God is not speaking. It's not that God is not seeking to reveal himself to us so that we might understand what it means to grab a hold of this identity as children of God. For so many of us, it's that we don't prioritize that. That that is not the chief, God is not the chief authority in our lives. God is an authority, maybe. God is an authority when it suits us. God is an authority as long as it fits into our master plan for our lives. But there are any other number of things that we allow to be an authority in our lives, finances or relationship or the approval of others. We allow those things to be our authority and they drive and dictate and determine where we pour our energy and our time and our effort. When what we are invited to consider is that if we, if we make the things of God our, our chief priority over everything else, then it informs the way that we interact financially. It, it informs who we are in relationship with others. It informs uh, the way that we deal with the approval of others. It informs everything about how we live our lives. If our identity is rooted in who we are as a child of God and we make the pursuit of the heart of our Heavenly Father our chief aim above all other things, things, that we, like Jesus, are willing to linger in the places where God is at work, that we, like Jesus, are willing to be humble, believing that there is so much more that we can learn and experience, that we, like Jesus, are willing to ask questions and willing to listen and willing to prioritize the things of God above everything else. The result that we see of this was that Jesus did go down to Nazareth with them, with with Mary and Joseph, with his parents, and he was obedient to them. He didn't do this to get ahead of where God wanted him to be. God had for him to grow up, to be an apprentice of his father, Joseph the carpenter, to grow in wisdom and stature, to grow up like any other 12, 13, 14-year-old boy would, to become a young man. And it wasn't until Jesus was 30 years old that he began his public ministry. But Luke captures for us this snapshot. One, because it's the, the first moment that Jesus speaks in the gospel, but, but two, it's the moment where we, we see Jesus' realization of who he is as the Son of God. And his chief aim and his chief desire is to honor his heavenly father, to be faithful to that which God gave him to do here on this earth. But he does that not by running ahead. He does it by being faithful in the very place where his father has him in that moment. He went with his parents and he was obedient to them. Obedient to what? He probably had to clean his room. He probably had to make sure the carpentry shop was clean, but he also was raised in a family where he was being taught the things of God. He was obedient in that. And his mother Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. If you were to look back at verse 40, you see 
very similar words there. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. When this happens in scripture, we call this an inclusio. That a significant piece of scripture or a significant narrative is framed by similar, if not identical, sentences. So for us to read that in verse 40 and then to hear it again in verse 52, it means for Luke's readers, including us, that we probably ought to pay attention to what's in the middle there. Friends, all of us have been offered an inheritance that we did not earn, that we've done nothing to deserve. But we've also been invited to take up our identity as sons and daughters of God. To live into what it means to be God's children and to allow that to shape the way that we interact with this world around us rather than allowing the world to shape who we are. And so I want to invite you this week. I mean, you, you could take all of these things and say, I, want, I really want to begin to apply these things and to live in this posture before the Lord. And if, if that's the case, then absolutely. But maybe just pick one. Start with one. Where can I linger longer? Where do I need to linger longer? Maybe it's in my prayer life. Maybe it's in time in the Word. Maybe it's in the company of others who are also seeking God to linger just a little bit longer. To be humble. To ask questions. To listen to prioritize the things of God and the pursuit of God's heart above all other things. The promise that God gives through the prophet Jeremiah is that when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Stand with me, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for all of the ways that we have prioritized other things in this world above you, for the ways that we allow this world and the culture around us to shape who we understand ourselves to be, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for allowing the opinions of others to drive our understanding of who we are? Would you forgive us? Father, for choosing temporary satisfaction, for choosing the things that this world is offering over choosing you. I pray this morning that we would rest in the hope that there is nothing that can separate us from your love for us. Nothing that can separate us from the love that you have for us that's displayed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's made most evident there. And I pray that it's in that hope that we cannot place ourselves outside of your grace and your reach. I pray that it's in that hope and that truth that we would consider what it means to live into our identity as your children. God, that we would be like Christ in the way that we prioritize our pursuit of your heart and our, our understanding of your mind, that we might truly live into what it means to belong to you.
and that that would begin to shape the way that we interact with this world around us. God, meet us right where we are, each of us, and deal with us in the way that you need to by your Holy Spirit. Pray that you would help us to leave this place, yes, challenged, but also encouraged that there is so much more for each of us to experience in life with you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray these things.